Right, the first reading is Jonah chapter 1, which uh, is up on the screens now. Uh, so it's Jonah chapter 1. Jonah flees the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the second reading is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42, entitled, The Sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, 
Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Just pray for Steve. Lord, we thank you for Steve. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for the preparation and we just ask that through him uh, that you will use his words, that you have inspired him and that you will help inspire all of us here today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dominic. Good morning. So uh, we're going to spend the next uh, four weeks in this book of Jonah which I'm sure many of you will know from Sunday school days. It's really one big Jewish joke, and uh, I sometimes think that parts of it would be best read by Michael McIntyre. But uh, it's something which speaks, I think, to our culture and to us today. Uh, Jonah is one of the minor prophets, and yet it's an unusual book because most of the prophets have a message from the word, from the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to them as the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But generally, it's a word saying what's going to happen, whereas for Jonah, it's a word that he has to go and deliver to an alien culture. And uh, so we're going to just look at three um, scenes in this first chapter. And the first is Jonah running away from the Lord. When the word of the Lord there we go. When the word of the Lord comes, we have a choice as to what we will do with it. And um, I don't know if you can see this map, but um, here is uh, Joppa on the right down in Israel. And Jonah is asked to go 550 miles north to Nineveh. And he chooses instead Uh, of taking that land journey to get a boat and go about two and a half thousand miles west to Tarshish, uh, southern Spain. And uh, there are many reasons why he might have decided not to go to Nineveh. He had discovered that a prophet uh, is of more value in his own country than uh, in a, a foreign country. He had learned to prophesy pleasant things to his friends and nasty things to his enemies. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 14, which is the only other mention of Jonah in the Old Testament. And as far as Jonah was concerned, the Ninevites were worthy of God's punishment. 
not of being given a chance to, re to repent. The Ninevites uh, were, well, Nineveh was uh, the major city in the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians had extorted tribute from the kings of Israel from 842 to 815 BC. And in 722 BC, they invaded and destroyed Samaria. And these were scary people. Nineveh is actually Mosul. You'll know about Mosul from the Iraq war. And uh, in 2018, there was an exhibition in the British Museum just to rescue some of the things which were being destroyed in Mosul. And this is a review of that exhibition. The writer Jonathan Jones says this. You have to hand it to the ancient Assyrians. They were honest. Their artistic propaganda relishes every detail of torture, massacre, battlefield executions, and human displacement that made Assyria the dominant power of the Middle East from about 900 to 612 BC. Assyrian art contains some of the most appalling images ever created. In one scene, tongues are being ripped from the mouths of prisoners, that will mute their screams when, in the next stage of their torture, they are flayed alive. In another relief, a surrendered general is about to be beheaded. And in a third, prisoners have to grind their father's bones before being executed in the streets of Nineveh. Nice people, these Assyrians. So that were, there was plenty of reason for Jonah not to want to go to Nineveh. So he ran away. But he didn't just run away from Nineveh. He decided that he would run to Tarshish. And there were possible reasons for going to Tarshish. If you read about Tarshish in the Old Testament, it's a, quite an exotic place. Let me read to you from 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 21. The king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Haram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silvery, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So there were very good reasons to go to this exotic, remote place, not least that it was as far as Jonah could travel in his known world from Nineveh. When the word of the Lord comes to us, we can run away. And uh, if you're anything like me, I I've never really gone to Tarshish. That's not my kind of rebellion. But I've not gone to Nineveh. You remember the story of the prodigal son? There is the prodigal son. He goes off to his Tarshish, doesn't he? And spends all that he has. And the older son doesn't do that. He stays behind. But he does not obey the word of his father. He doesn't respond to the word of the father. He just hardens his heart. Jonah, in his heart of hearts, believed that he knew better than God. And as I've pondered this first chapter of Jonah, the question that's come to my mind is, what kind of God do I really believe in? Because that is tested in how I respond to God's word. And when Jonah received the word of the Lord, he decided, essentially, that God didn't really know what he was talking about on this occasion, that Jonah knew better. 
That's the first scene. The second scene is the storm. And how we respond to God's word and also how we respond in the storms of life show us what we really think of the God we say we believe in. There are always storms. There are always storms for disobedience. Uh, It's not true that if I rebel or if I disobey the word of the Lord, that will rebound on me directly. The Bible doesn't teach karma. But there are always consequences. And very often, it's other people who get caught up in the consequences of our disobedience. And in this case, it was the sailors. They were the innocent collateral of Jonah's disobedience. So here they are in the storm. Let's read verses 4 to 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. How do you respond to the storms of life? There are two ways here. The first is demonstrated by the sailors. They turn to prayer. C.S. Lewis writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And sometimes, in in my experience, I, I have been able to respond to that megaphone. When the storms happen, To my instinct has been to pray. But very often, I have to confess, my instinct has been not to pray, but to do what Jonah did, and that is to sleep. Maybe not literally, but we all, I think, have those places that we go to below decks to hide from the reality of what's going on above deck and to find solace in sleep. For you, it may be the box sets. I don't know what it is, but we all have things that we escape into rather than respond to the storm as it rages around us. Jonah goes down below decks and he's asleep while the pagans are praying. His self-righteousness, his self-justification inured him to the plight of the sailors and he didn't really care for them or for anyone outside of his tight religious community. He wouldn't even communicate with God. And this is the first of many incidents where the pagans prove themselves to be far more godly than the prophet. I was at university with a young chap called Philip, and uh, a few years after university, he uh, went forward for ordination. He was not recommended. I saw him a few years later. He didn't even go to church anymore. That was his response to that disappointment. And I think very often people respond in that sort of way. I can't believe in a God who allows such and such to happen because, of course, I'm morally superior to God. I lost my faith when I lost my job because I deserve better than that. I didn't stop believing in God, but I couldn't forgive him because I thought that God was there to meet my needs. Why has God let this happen to me? 
because I'm actually the most important person on the planet. How we react to the storms of life does show what we really believe about the God we say we believe in. I think of the contrast with Jesus facing the cross. I think on that night I would have wanted to somehow dull everything and hide away, but Jesus faces in and spends the night in prayer, asking that maybe this cup that his father has set for him to drink could be avoided. So that's the second scene, the storm. The third scene is Jonah representing God. And the, the fact is, as Christians, we all represent God all the time, don't we? I do sometimes find myself removing my dog collar when I'm driving over above a certain speed. Um, but here is Jonah. Here is Jonah the prophet, the prophet of the Lord. How does he represent God? Well, first of all, he represents God inadequately. Let's read verses 7 to 10. Then the, soul, uh, the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Good questions. Questions that Jonah should have been asking himself. What what is my job? What is my role? Where am I from? Who are my people? What kind of person am I meant to be? And he answered. And I, I sort of imagine Jonah sort of straightening out his tunic and rising to his full height as he says down his nose to these sailors, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And they respond, what have you done? You worship the God who made these elements that are battering our boat, and yet you have decided to disobey him. What were you thinking? Of course, Jonah didn't really believe. His running away from the Lord and his reaction to the storm show what he really believes. And occasionally, we, we have those experiences, don't we, where our faith is really exposed. I remember my uh, first trip to Nigeria. I was, there was a, a member of the clergy who was very, very keen for me, this, this white preacher, to visit his village. And um, there was a lot of respect, particularly for Anglicans who had brought through CMS the gospel to that area. And I went to his village. It was the first time I've been to a village uh, which was entirely mud huts, immaculately swept, packed earth. And um, I guess, really, I was, I was there with a tourist mindset. And we were walking into the village, and he said, oh, before you come to my house, I want you to pray for this woman. And there was an old lady just outside the village. And uh, the cr- crowd gathered for the white man to heal her. And in that moment, I just knew I didn't have any faith. It was, it was a profoundly disturbing experience for me. 
And here is Jonah. And he doesn't have any faith. The, the, the pagan sailors have more faith than he does. So he represents God inadequately. But he also represents God inadvertently. Shamed by the sailor's piety and with his conscience stirred by their plight, Jonah recognizes that if they are to be saved, he has to die. And in so doing, he represents the Lord in a most profound way. We had that reading from Matthew where Jesus is shown to be something greater than Jonah. Jonah inadvertently points to Jesus and shows the sailors what the true God is actually like, that, that the true God is someone who is touched by the storms of life that we go through. He is someone who saves through self-sacrifice. He is the one who substitutes himself for us so that we can be saved. So he does actually represent the Lord, but it's somewhat inadvertent. You know that uh, I'm a great fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and this is one of his most profound statements, I think. Only the believers obey, and only the obe obedient believe. In other words, you only obey if you really believe. And your obedience is only, sorry, and your belief is only belief if you really obey. So I'm asking myself, what, what kind of God do I really believe in? Because it's going to be evident, not really in what I tell you from the pulpit, but in what I do, in how I, how I live in whether I obey or not. We're shown what we believe by what we do. So just as we uh, draw to a close, I just wondered whether there may be some people here today who have found that their hearts have become a little bit embittered like, like Jonah. I think it is possible, you know, to be like Jonah, to kind of hold a grudge against God because things haven't really gone as you'd planned. And Jonah seems to be like that. Um, it, it's ridiculous. The whole story of Jonah shows how pathetic that is, but it, it is how we often react to the events of life. And so I want to end just by inviting you to believe and inviting you to put your faith in the true God, and to leave here and act it out. So, firstly, from the book of Jonah. Is God calling you? The Bible says, the one who calls you is faithful. So it's good for us to, from time to time, just to stop and think, well, how is God calling me? What, what is God's call to me at this moment in time? And am I responding? And am, am I being obedient? Because the one who calls is faithful. Secondly, are you in a storm? 
How are you responding to the storm? The God of the Bible says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I will be with you. Trust me. Thirdly, is God asking you or me to represent him? Do I believe for myself the message that he has entrusted me to pass on to others? Jesus told his disciples, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever's given at you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So let's go into those places that God calls us to and trust that he will give us what we need. But finally, and maybe most importantly, the God we believe in is the God who sacrificed himself, the one who is greater than Jonah. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You may not be one who runs off to Tarshish. You may just be one who doesn't go to Nineveh. But let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's be true believers who obey. Amen.